Welcome back to another episode of The Top Step. My name is Ryan Rowland-Smith. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Seattle Mariners' top prospect and a big part of their future, Mr. Justin Dunn. Now, I'll admit, I'd never met or spoken to Justin before this chat, so I didn't know what to expect. But after this conversation, I am a huge fan, and it's clear to see why the Mariners organization is so high on this kid. If you're a Mariners fan and you want someone to get excited about this year and definitely for the future, this is a kid you can get behind. Justin was extremely honest about a lot of things in this episode, from his debut being overwhelmed by superstars he was up against, to why he walks around with that chip on his shoulder. We also dive into his sneaker obsession and how he rigged the meal system at Boston College with his soon-to-be girlfriend, Kylia. Now, I started this podcast because some of my favorite memories in the big leagues were standing on the top step of the dugout with teammates hearing their story and being inspired by their journey. Now, if you're enjoying these conversations, these journeys from all my guests, please click the subscribe button below. And if you have a minute, please review this podcast or go check out www.thetopstep.com for all the episodes and videos and other content I'm starting to put out. This episode's also available to watch on YouTube, and I'll throw some clips up there as well as I chat to Justin. Okay, sit back, relax, throw in those headphones, enjoy this episode as Justin Dunn joins me on The Top Step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face a Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. And a breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. As he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. All right, welcome, Justin, to the Top Step Podcast. Now, first of all, I just want to give a quick story. We're running about 30 minutes late, all right, because you don't have Skype. We're no. using – it's Kalia, right, your girlfriend? Yeah, but I made a Skype, so I, hers wasn't working, so I had to make one. Uh-huh, okay, all right, so you can blame her for that. All right, yeah. no worries. Okay, but we've got to figure it out. Dude, by the way, man, are you using – like, are you doing Zoom sessions with, you know, friends back home or with yeah. your family? Yeah, I've done a couple. I need to get the Zoom cranking, man. For some reason, Zoom won't pick up this microphone. So, oh, really? Yeah, so it's it's so much better because you get just the quality. Anyway, nothing again. I'm not, you know, taking shots at Skype. Thank yeah. you, Skype, anything <laughs> like that. But just the whole thing, man. I mean, I've been starting to do these Zoom sessions with friends back in Australia, and just the quality is so much better on it. But yeah. anyway. Hopefully Skype's not listening. But uh, you right now, you guys right now, you're in, you're with your girlfriend mm-hmm. in Arizona, mm-hmm. and you're living with two other teammates. Yes, who, are you, who are you living with? I'm living with Kyle Lewis and the entire Fraley family. So I got okay. Jake Fraley, Angelica, and then the two kids. Okay, so how did this? So obviously you're not going back to New York, right? No. Uh, when the whole thing, no way. So. How did all this come about? Were you guys living together in spring training or was this something like, hey, let's just get a house? No, sir. So Kyle and I lived together. We had a little apartment Mm -hmm. and uh, there were talks that Arizona was going full shutdown and we were like, all right, there's no way I can do a full quarantine in this little apartment. Um, We need to find something bigger. So we started looking. We started looking for a house and we were all hanging out one day before uh, this whole thing kind of kicked off and we were still allowed to be together. Um, in a big group, and Fraley had told us that his roommates, Braden and Timmy, were going home when they found out that they were allowed to go home. Because um, at first we were all under the assumption that we were all going to stay here um, and kind of keep working out at the facility. 
Um, so when they left, he was like, I'm out of a place. My lease is up. So we're like, you know what? Let's hop in. It'll make rent cheaper. We can get a bigger, nicer house. And it'll make the quarantine that much smoother with more space. So that's how we all got together. How is it having the Friley kids in the house? They're awesome. They're awesome. Because um, you're in your early 20s, man. See, I'm, I've got two kids. We're, we're locked up. I'm up in Seattle. And okay. the weather is the weather's so good outside. Like, it's unreal. I don't know how long it's going to last or whatever, but just itching to get outside. And we do. Like, we get outside. But, man, it is extremely tough, you know, with kids. But, you know, when you first said – I read somewhere that you, Kyle, and and Friday were living together. So I just thought it was three dudes, you know, early no, 20s. No, no. We got a family. <laughs> We got the family. I'm Uncle Justin for a couple. Uncle months. Justin, nice. Who yeah, gets no, the, it's a lot of fun though. Who who gets the master bedroom? He has the master. I get, we gave gotcha. him the master with the family, and uh, they have a bathtub in there so he can do bath time. Um, and it's, it's fun to see Dad freely come out too. Right. So yeah, right. And, and and so Carl's riding solo, and then and you've got your your girlfriend. Yep. Who who was there? She was there hanging before. Yeah, before it all she kicked was here off, before right? and. Um, she just wasn't able to get out after um, her job put, kind of put a travel band on. Right. Um, and it's honestly, honestly better that she just stayed here. Boston's kind of bad. She works in Boston. So she has family out here and it just made sense that she can hang out here and see family, but also hang out with me at the same time. Yeah. yeah. There's way more spot. My in-laws live in Arizona. It's like, at least you can naturally be separated as opposed yes, to living sir. in a city. That's for sure. All right. So if she, so she works in Boston, Yes, sir. So you, you spend the off season in Florida, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so how does that work? I mean, you, you got how often do you guys see each other? Um, in the beginning of the off season, when I'm home in New York, basically every weekend. Um, so what I'll do is after the season, I'll go home, hang out with family and friends in New York and Boston a lot. Um, I'll go back up to school, visit, go talk to the team a couple times, um, stay at home during the week with my fam, um, and then on the weekends I'll go up to see her. Do that whole thing, and then around November, end of November, beginning of December, I'll hop on a flight, and me and uh, one of my college roommates will get an apartment in Florida, gotcha. and we'll train there, zero distractions for two months straight, right, and then right. head straight to straight to camp, basically from there. So, and, and, and that's at the Cressy facility, right? In Florida. Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. so what what other players are working out there with you? A Big bunch of guys, guys that that people would know about. Um, Max Scherzer, mm -hmm. uh, Corbin is there. Um, Chris Volstad's there. Um, Jesus Lazardo, gotcha. he's there. Shoot, he has a lot of dudes. I mean, he has more guys that aren't necessarily there. Like yeah. Noah Syndergaard trains with him a lot. Um, Kluber, he trains up right. in Mass. Um, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. There's so many jerseys hanging up on that wall that you yeah. can't keep track sometimes oh he's killing it man you know it's so funny because you know up here you've got you know driveline which yep. yeah they, they make massive statements in in, in baseball and yeah, everyone talks about driveline and everything else and then you've got another dude down in louisiana but it's i feel like with eric he just kind of sits back does his thing and gets massive results from some huge names yep. and just kills it but just kind of stays out of the hole because there's some drama that goes on on social media you're so right it's quite, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. That's what I love about Eric Cressy, man. Just he's very laid back, man. He's the man. I've been with him since I was a freshman in college. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. So is he does he spend most of his time in Florida or up in Mass? He splits. So he's he's okay. fortunate enough to be able to split back and forth. It kind of works out where Mass is more going full steam when we're playing. So he can yeah. be up there and then when Mass kind of dies down with the college kids and the high school kids being back in school and all that, he'll come down to Florida when gotcha. spring training is getting going. 
Gotcha. Okay. All right. So talk me through now, <laughs> you, Kyle Lewis and Fraley all in the same house. What? Tell me what the daily routine is. Because I mean, everyone, everyone's obviously everyone's going stir crazy at the moment, especially I'm sure you guys are too, right? Yeah. And you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't be playing video games all day and obviously Fraley's got his kids. So what's the daily routine for you guys? The daily routine, the the alarms are all set. Fraley's usually up at a set time. He's usually, the kids get him up kind of <laughs> early. Uh, Kyle and I will come strolling out about 10 10 30 11 gotcha. um usually make some breakfast um then we'll play a couple games at mlb the show we'll run a couple games of the show and then we got a little so, so a couple morning sessions yeah a couple morning sessions we'll okay. get two two diamond dynasty games in roughly or we'll play <laughs> each other um and then we'll go work out in the gym together um get a little lift in and then usually around that time it's lunch the kids are awake now and it's time to play uh, so we'll take Jace outside and get him some swings. We have a cool little setup where uh, we have a tee with like a the old school hitting net. So Jake will take some Jake and Kyle will take some swings off the tee into the net, and then Jace will work in there. And um, I found myself flipping to them like kind of on an angle behind the net, trying to hide. Right. Um, so we have a cool little setup. Come back in after that, hang out, shower, go play some more Call of Duty start running some war zone games and then that'll usually run us to dinner eat and then go right back into our little man cave and play some more video games until bedtime and binge watch a netflix show until we pass out hey that uh what are we watching on netflix uh we just watched the new dating show what was that one called blind dating the the one where they sit me on the wall not that one love is blind we watched that one i killed that one in like a week (laughs) um it's a new one it's uh they like too hot to handle. That's what it's called. Okay. Too hot to handle. I'm they, uh, they can't have any physical contact. It's all remote, uh, rela- or emotional relationship building. And gotcha. they lose money every time they break rules. And so it's just funny to see how mad people get when rules are broken. And they lose a lot of money real quick. And that's gotcha. interesting. Yeah, I'm so jealous, man. You guys are in your early 20s. You're all a part of this new little group of dudes who are about to you know, be a part of a big league team. You know, and, and and change an organization, and you're talking about you know dealing with this isolation, getting to play video. I'm stuck here. This is literally the only corner of my house that I have, you know, to make sure you know I've got a one year old and a five year old. We're yep. trying to homeschool. We're trying to like get some routine. It's brutal, man. It's it's been it's been rough. That's for sure. So <laughs> anyway, I'm just jealous. I'm just taking a moment here. You guys get to hang and I'll hang out with them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hey, did you so? When you're saying, you know, Kyle hitting into that net, right? So you guys don't have a facility where you can get to. Are you guys just doing? I mean, who are you? Who are you playing catch with? I play catch with those two. Oh, okay. It's funny. Yeah, I'm trying to play catch with them, but they throw like outfielders and they just jump back 15 feet right. every two throws. I'm like, yeah. we got to slow it down and ease yeah. it a little bit. But uh, I throw with them, and then I'll go throw a flat ground into the net in the back. Um, facilities are pretty much locked up, so we just throw yeah. right in the street back back in the old days. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of surreal to go back to, to times like that. <laughs> it's nuts, man. I mean, I see some clips on Instagram, Twitter, like, yeah, um, Joe Kelly. Th- did you see that clip of him throwing yeah, straight with, through? Uh, the clean fuego ball and threw it in? Awesome. Yeah, we have a net very similar to that in our backyard. Gotcha. That's yeah. awesome. Um, okay, so your dad works at the, for the Department of Health, right? Yep. In New York. Okay, so he's obviously got a pretty good handle of what's going on over. So obviously, that's not an option for you to go home whatsoever. But for him, man, I mean, what? Yeah, it's it's funny because you're starting to see, you know, people are starting to protest, 
and get out there and, and come up with these conspiracies. I mean, what's some of the things he's obviously in the thick of it in a place where it's like the epicenter now in New York. Yeah. So what are some of the things he's telling you that people just, you know, cause my only exposure to it is what I see, you know, through the media or whatever. So what are some things that he's saying to you? It's like, Hey man, this is real because what? He's just saying it's real just because of the, the way the, the virus spreads. Um, right. But it, it is containable, it is controllable, and we just need to do what our what our government officials are saying. We need to do with social distancing, wash your hands, wear your mask. If we do what we need to do as society, it can be taken care of. Yeah. Um, it can't be taken lightly. Like, we can't be out at the beach now that numbers are going down, we have the test, and all the other things that are going into it. We can't be at the beach jumping around, having a good time, yeah. thinking that we're through it when we're really not. Now we're, we figured out a way to kind of contain it, and we need to now get it to go away before we can reacclimate. So... From day one, he's just been saying, take it serious, wash your hands, mm -hmm. uh, try not to touch your face, um, keep your distance. And, and really, he's very much uh, on us about staying in the house, not venturing out too far to go yeah. see other people. If you have your crew of people that you've been kind of quarantined with, keep that same group right. and um, and try to ride the, ride this wave out together. Did he like forecast this? Was this something he was talking about, you know, mid yeah, like early February or he, no, no, no chance. Yeah, yeah. No, he just, he, well, he's, he was getting the updates as they were coming out and, and kind of saying, Hey, this is real. Um, just if I call you with this, just know that this is the real thing. Um, right. and kind of giving us little, little hints at it, but nothing like, Hey, this is coming. We're going DEFCON five, lock the whole world up. Yeah. Nothing yeah. Like that. yeah. Right. Uh, I don't think anybody kind of expected it to do what it did. Right. And, and, you know, the industry he's in, when you talk to him or he reads that MLB is trying to get season back in May, what does he think of that? He's hope. I mean, he's hopeful. He's a, he's a diehard baseball fan. So I yeah. think that outweighs the, the professional side of what he does. I think he'd rather right. just have the game back because he's going stir crazy, not <laughs> yeah. being able to call me about what I did last night or what I was thinking for a certain pitch. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to coming from up top. It, mm -hmm. When they kind of loosen the reins and we can take care of some of that stuff as, yeah. as a country, then we'll get it back. And I, th I think that's possible. But um, like I said, we need to continue to do what we're doing um, socially and, and as a society in order to take care of that. Right. That was one of the things someone, you know, asked me to ask you uh, do you think baseball will be back in May? I, was like, I, I can't keep asking people man because no one has a I got clue. no clue guys I'm, I'm sorry I wish <laughs> I wish I could tell you all day trust me I'm itching my yeah. girlfriend I got my gloves in the bed with me I sleep with my all gloves right. and she's like get these things out of here <laughs> like I can't they, they got nowhere else to go I want to oh, I back that's yeah, brutal hey so speaking speaking to your family I want to talk to you about you did something which is I'll be honest with you I grew up in Australia right boarding school is it's way more prevalent in Australia. My dad went to a boarding school. He went to the King's School from when he was, you know, uh, 12 years old. Um, you know, so I was doing my research before I jumped on all the things I wanted to, to dive into about, you know, you and your family and everything else. But you went to a school. It's so funny. When I first looked at it, gunnery school. So I'm looking at this thing. Is this some military camp? Did he you know, upset his parents? And it's like, boom, see you later. Get out of my sight. Off to rural so what talk me through that how did that come about to go to that school like obviously it's an amazing place dude you go online look at it it's like wow beautiful isn't it it's unreal it's awesome and just it just looks like a place where you know if you go if you're lucky enough you know to go there it, there's yeah it seems like you get massive opportunities and everything else but how did all that come about like 
Was this something that your parents were talking about when you were six years old? Hey, we, no. we're going to try and get into this school. No, no, sir, no, sir. So it came to be. Um, I went to regular middle school, regular elementary school. Had my friends coming up. Um, the one year I played football, we had to go to the varsity homecoming game, right? Mm-hmm. And um, well, I'll back it up. My dad was looking at IMG since I was okay. twelve. Gotcha. So my dad, my dad's crazy. My my pops was ready to send me to the Dominican Republic. He was ready to do all types of different things for baseball. So at about eight or nine, I think he started calling IMG asking if they had middle school programs, if they offered scholarships because we couldn't afford it. And at the time they weren't doing it, but you fast forward to now where we are now and the way IMG is set up, I would have been at IMG in a heartbeat. Um, So when he realized that wasn't an option, he started to look into boarding school. Um, I think he was, it was more of an idea and it didn't become a reality until I went to that varsity homecoming game. And I believe he saw a gang unit, the, the, the arts towns gang unit at the game. Uh, we were playing rivals and our, the rival town, the town over was a very, their gangs very prevalent there. Um, and I guess he didn't like that. And then come to the idea of baseball and he kind of saw this coming and didn't want me to get abused in a public school system. So he started doing his research and we had a family friend who attended uh, the Salisbury school, one of our rivals. And he referred me to a boys club of New York where they had an academic all-star team. So what that was, was you had to have a certain GPA. So you had to have a three, I think it was a three, two GPA in your middle school in order to play on the team. Um, So from there, we, they would take you to all these different prep school showcases. So we went up to the Loomis Chafee School, and there were 15 to 20 high school coaches there. So it's like take yourself and put yourself in any pre-draft workout, right? Okay. I was doing that. At, that's what I was doing at 11 and 12. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, my coach was there, called me, basically like come up for a for an in, yeah. in-school visit. So take so this official visit. So r- real quick, so th- this was all sport related. This wasn't a situation where it's like, hey, look, academics get to this place because uh, it was more in, in a sense of you can, pl- you know, I want you to go here and play baseball. When you said your dad was crazy, it He's was not- more in the sense of, <laughs> so it was more in the sense of go somewhere in an environment where you can excel sport wise. Or is the academic side of it, is, were, were you a smart kid and they're like, hey, man, we're going to get him somewhere where he can excel academically as well i think it was a of, i think it was a mix of both i was also a very independent child so yeah. i didn't i didn't need my like I, I just grew up on my own i did a lot of things on my own um so i think part of it was an academic decision because when you first yeah. look at the gunnery school it's not known for athletics athletics other than right. ice hockey we don't we're not really known right. for for big sports but my high school coach was or is uh, Cape Cod league coach has been for shoot, I don't know, 15, 20 years. So he's been up there. He's been around it. He knows the whole college ranks and everything. And at the time, the goal for them wasn't to get me to pro ball. It was to get me to college. And my dad felt that my coach, Jeff Trundy was going to take care of me. And it was between Mr. Trundy and Salisbury. Uh, Salisbury was an all boys school of about a thousand guys. And it was an athletic powerhouse. So that yeah. school there was strictly um, baseball. Like you're going to go there, you're going to get better. It's a factory. It's going to you're going to lift weights, you're going to run, you're going to long toss, do all that the right way, yeah. and you're going to get better. Um, 
but I fell in love with the Gunnery campus more than Salisbury's. Why is that? Um, I was small, so I liked the small school. There's only 300 kids in the entire school. So in my grade, right. I graduated with 45 kids. Gotcha. But boys and girls. Okay. So I walked around campus and I knew everybody. Um, right. Okay. I just felt at home. There was something about my coach that I just couldn't get past. I just loved him. He was awesome. Um, felt like a second father figure. And my mom felt really comfortable with me at, the, with me at that school also. Um, so went there at 13 years old um, and was there till 17 and, and loved every it, second of it. And it's going to be daunting to you. 13 years old, you know you're going to get you're, – you're basically leaving home yeah. in a sense, right? How often were you getting back home? Was it every weekend you were getting back home, or how'd that work? No, no, sir, no, sir. So, um, when I when they were first presented to me, I was like, "Y'all are just you're a kid, you're a kid. Like, there's no way this is real." And then it started to get real. I got the acceptance letter, all this stuff. We're buying stuff for my dorm, and I was like, "All right, this is just gonna be a sleepover. Like, yeah. I'm sleeping over with my friends, and we're just gonna go to the same school." Didn't work out like that. I remember the first three weeks, I was in my room every night crying. I called home every night crying. Yeah. Um, I didn't see my parents. They, they did a very good job of, they had parents weekend within the first month of the school year for freshmen. So the freshmen got to see their parents in the first month. So I saw them the end of September, they came up and watched the game. Then they went home. Then we have a headmaster's weekend. So you can go home in the middle of October. Mm -hmm. Then Thanksgiving, our breaks are way long. My Thanksgiving where, um, when I was going to regular um, city schools or, or town schools, I was getting a week. When I was at boarding school, I almost had two and a half weeks off for just Thanksgiving. Wow. My Christmas was a full month. My spring was a month and a couple weeks. So we were home for longer and then we got out earlier. But gotcha. we went to school on Saturday also. Okay. All right. So when you go off, when you go off to, to board at this school, right, obviously you're dealing with the homesickness home and, and everything else. Yep. So you're 13 years old. At that point, were you baseball crazy? Like, man, I just want to play baseball. Or is it more? Was it more about you? Just, you didn't quite know what you wanted to do at that age. I was there for baseball. Okay. I was there for baseball. And if anyone asked me why and, you're here, and, and you felt that way too. It yeah. wasn't just okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I was right. I was there for baseball. Um, I remember guys because when I first got to school, so to put it in perspective, my grandmother was four foot eleven inches. And when I got to school my freshman year, I was not taller than her. I can't tell you exactly how tall I was, but I was not four foot eleven. Um, and so I'm telling these kids like, "Hey, I'm going D1. Like, I'm going pro. I'm here for baseball. And I'm getting laughed at." So for those first three weeks, I didn't have friends. Kids are laughing at me. So I'm just sitting in my room, tightening my gloves. And that was that. That was my friends. I'm playing wall ball with myself. Um, I was in the cage a lot by myself, right. hitting. So. So, so a school that small was it? I mean, what was what was the t- was that your one baseball team, or were you already starting to do the travel ball thing then, or what? I was doing travel ball at nine years old. I mean, we gotcha. were playing all over the country at nine. Okay. Yeah. So, did you have to find a travel ball team where you where you were at, or how that worked? So, at first, they were a little like so. I played for my same travel teams. Yeah. Okay. And when we would do like the Jupiter tournaments and all that, I'd have to go to the headmaster and say, "Hey, look, I have a big, big tournament coming up for college recruiting." Right. and i need to leave and so then they'd call my parents and be like is he kidding is this a big tourney then they'd go do their research look at it and say okay you can leave for the weekend okay gotcha 
Wow. And okay. Let me, they would let me go home. We would fly out, play. And then I'd come back and report for school. I'd have to do my schoolwork while I was there. Um, all that good stuff. Okay. So that travel ball team, you said from when you were nine years old, right? Was that a good, like one of these good programs that just, you know, killed everyone? Yeah, we were okay. legit. Right. So fun, he- fact, fun fact, we beat Jake Fraley at nine years old. Jake Fraley oh, was the first kid I faced that made me contemplate whether I wanted to hit or not. He was the kid that threw so hard at nine, you heard the ball coming to the plate. Right. So we had a pitcher's duel at nine years old. And every time we get going on like reminiscent, we always talk about that game about how it's just small, how small the baseball world is. We've been playing against each other for that long. So so he was big time back at nine years old. Oh, Fraley was nasty. He was just, I joke because I was so little. I say Fraley has been the same size since he was nine years old, but Fraley was nasty. Had long, did he have long hair? No, he had a crew cut. Uh, hit lefty. He hit a homer dead central, and it felt like 95. Right. But he was nasty with a banger. He had a banger. Damn, dude. Usually nah. those usually those kids at nine years old end up they just fizzling, fizzling. Yeah, they don't pan out because everyone you know gets some testosterone in them, and all of a sudden, not nah, Wow, man. Oh, I need Jesus. to hear more about that. Jake's That's amazing. That's crazy. So okay, so. Uh, I want to talk to you about this. So you're 13 years old, you go off to boarding school. Again, it's it's not super common yeah, in the States. It really isn't. Right? I went to a public school. My dad was like hell-bent on me going to the King's School. I was going to go there and, and either row or play rugby. Was there a good rowing program at this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. Northeast. It's it's similar to the you know the, the kind of thing yeah. back in Australia, the rowing and everything else. But, okay, so you, at 14 years old, you always said you want to prove people wrong. So that was around the time when you basically 13, 14 years old, that kind of got instilled in you, whereas it was, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm smaller than ever, than everyone. Everyone can laugh at me. And all of a sudden, you found yourself in a situation. You're playing on these good travel ball teams, kind of having to fight your way to, 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 to basically play on these travel ball teams as well. Yeah, so when we started at nine, when we were playing on that tournament, I was a shortstop, and I would pitch every championship game okay. until we were about 13 when kids started hitting puberty. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I just wasn't playing. I was pitching. I would pitch the first game of the tournament. And now my dad was a coach, so I knew the thought process behind who would pitch the first game. And the first game was just like, just throw anybody out there. Mm-hmm. And so to me, when they threw me out in the first game, it was like, I used to throw the championship games. Now all of a sudden, you're just running me out just to run me out? Like That's not how this works. Yeah. So that, started to, that was when the, the fuel really started for me. Just because I wasn't as big as people didn't mean I wasn't as good. Right. Um, and then when I went to boarding school and I'll never forget the day we were taking, uh, we were taking camera or pictures, school pictures on parent weekend. Mm-hmm. And the guy was talking to me about playing baseball and our camera guy started laughing. He was like, there's no way you're going to play baseball. I said, okay, just watch. And then there was a showcase. The, the guy taking snapping the photo, Phil Dunn, Phil Dunn. He's my man. I love him. But Phil Dunn was the start of one of the starts of the fuel of my fire. Okay. And, uh, and then there was another instance my freshman year where I went to a showcase and uh, it was the White Sox were holding it. It was like one of their little like camp yeah. things they did. And I went and uh, kids thought it was funny to mess with me. And they were like prank calling me. Ozzy Guillen was the manager at the time. Prank calling me, pretending me to be <laughs> Ozzy Guillen. I'm like, this isn't funny. Like I'm taking this serious. So yeah. that was that was the second instance where I was like, all right, people want to joke. It's okay. Yeah. Um, and I and I wasn't playing either. So I was little and my coach wouldn't play me as a freshman. Gotcha. And so they thought that I was just there as like the token kid um, just to play, just to be part of the team when it wasn't. I just I wasn't mature enough. 
So that's when my drive really kicked in and I started working. And I remember I would email my coach every Friday and say, hey, can you open up open up the facilities for me Saturday morning? And I would be there from sunup to sundown just by myself working on wow. everything. And he'd be out there. At the time, I was a shortstop. So he's hitting me fungos and we're doing infield and I'm hitting and, and doing dry drills on the mound. So it would be from noon to eight o'clock at night. I'd just be out there by myself sometimes. So there had to be those nights when you were at a boarding school that you've had you've had to leave home to go to a boarding school because the the, the sole purpose, right? You've you've got your dad who you said's crazy, sent you off to this boarding school. So you're there, and yeah, who knows what kind of relationship you've got with with roommates or or whoever you know who you're boarding with at that age. It can be like you can go this way or that way. You're not big. Right. You're not playing. There had to be those nights, though. And as much as you have that drive where you're like, oh, I'm going to you know, prove you wrong. There had to be those nights like, what the hell am I doing here? I'm not going to play baseball. There had to be some of that. Right. Or there no, just sir. wasn't. Wow. No, okay. My mom well, can, was you, a... can you pinpoint why? Why? What was the little the conversations or the, or the whatever it was that when you went back to that after that travel ball, that travel ball weekend? Don't play much. Everyone's bigger than you. Drake Fraley's buzzing 96 past your head at nine years old. Whatever. I got hit off. And you, don't get me wrong. I got oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. Nice. All right. You got you got the video we can put up in here or what? Know who might? My dad. My dad there might. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit him up for it. But there had to be like those little conversations. Because I went through the same thing, man, where it's – you know, dude, I grew up in Australia. Dude. I was like a, I was a you know, short, fat, chubby kid. And I had the same kind of instances where I was young, ever, and I, I was like, "No, I'm playing the big leagues." You get laughed at, right? That's just the way it goes. But there was all these these little conversations, this one conversation or this conversation or whatever. You know, you're about to talk about your mum, where that just stops those nights where you start to doubt what's happening, and that sends off the rest of your career, really, right? Yeah. So my mom, very very faithful person, um, very faithful person. So one day. I'll never forget it. I was 10 years old. She was in the bathtub and she called me and she goes, God told me to tell you to hit your corners and you'll be fine. And I was like, what? And she goes, hit your corners. That's it. Now get out. I was like, okay. And I left and I started thinking, I was like, she knows nothing about hitting corners or hitting spots. So how is she telling me that I just need to hit spots? So immediately I went to the basement and I just put up a box. And the box is still there to this day in my basement. And I just went down there and I started hitting the corner. Like I just was throw balls to the corners, to the corners, to the corners. And that was always the thing I thought about. And she, when she told me that is these people may not believe in me, but she told me God believes in me. And if God believes in me, I can do all. So I'm just going to keep working. And right. at the end of the day, I'm going to pick my head up and see where I'm at. It may, I may not play, but I'm going to do something in this game. I don't know what it is, but I'm yeah. going to do something. And I just never let that turn me down. I just continue to push through. And, and my dad is another one. He he was one of the guys who pushed me, was honestly the main person who pushed me to to kind of put all that to the side. He was the one that would say, let's go work. Let's go to work. Let's push them wrong. Let's prove them wrong. You're playing with them now when you're little. What happens when puberty kicks in and you're the same size as these yeah. kids? And, and, um, and he would never let me feel bad for myself. It was always, right. we're just going to go to work. We're going to go to work. We're going to go to work. So I, I didn't know anything else. I, right. didn't, I didn't know how to feel bad for myself. Well, first of all, I got to say, if that square's still up in that basement, you got the perfect quarantine spot, dude. Like, what are you, what are you doing there? Now. Okay. I have, <laughs> it's my, it's the square, and then I have my stride length measured out. 
with like hat. I don't even know what I was doing, but I had my stride length and yeah. a lover. It was, wow, it's, it's, it's still down there. That's awesome. See, yeah. that, that's and it's, it's amazing, like the impact parents can have, right? Yeah. And that's why, you know, I was curious to ask about the boarding school. I knew you had a good good relationship with your, with your folks, but when you do have that rock solid relationship, it can be hard when you go off to boarding school because a lot of times, and I've spoke to my dad about this too, is that relationship deteriorates and the kids off, you know, not even seeing their kids on a, on a nightly basis or don't see their parents' routine or any of this kind of stuff. But it makes such a difference, man. All right. I get into, as you get on in high school, all of a sudden you start to get to an age where, where it's starting to click. You, you're talking about putting in this work, everyone laughing at you at the show at the, you know, the White Sox, Aussie again, calling you, prank calling you, the whole thing. When does it start to this, all this work you're doing, it starts to catch up to all of a sudden, man, now I'm actually pretty good. It's starting to kick in that you can go to a D1 school. To me, it kicked in when I was 12 years old. I, I never, I never, at 12 at 10 years old, I told my mom I was going to, I was not going to college. I told her I was going to the big league. I was going to play in the big leagues. And then at 12, I told her I was going in the first round. Um, so in my head, I was never going to college. I, I never worked. They wanted me to play in college. They never looked at the pro rank. I, I always worked to go to the big leagues. I never, okay. college was never a thing for me, ever. Right. Um, I didn't like school. I didn't, I just wanted to play. Gotcha. And that's all I cared about. Um, so to put it on it to put it into when it started to click, probably my my senior year, my senior year I started to to grow a little bit. I was about 5'11", 145, 150 pounds. Velo ticked up. I was starting to throw in the nineties. Um, okay. I was overpowering guys now. Uh, my slider was getting better. I started to get some pop. I was running a couple balls out of the yard. I got faster. Like my dad used to kill me because he said I used to get beat by kids I shouldn't get beat by. But I had a big foot on a small body, so I just it wasn't equaling up. Yeah. <laughs> so when that kicked in, and it really kicked in when I went back and played with the summer team that I used to play with, that I that the team that kind of stopped playing me. Yeah. I went back and in my head just ran circles around. I was doing stuff that. Right. They couldn't even explain because they saw me as the twelve-year-old. Like, right. I was, hitting, I was hitting the ground ball single up the middle to the center fielder going first or second, just because I was just playing and having fun. Yeah. Like coming through slow rollers, putting the ball between my legs, just playing, and they couldn't see it, and I got drafted and all that. So I think at seventeen was when the confidence clicked in for me, and I guess that's where gotcha. my game took off. Gotcha. So okay, so it's pretty. It was late then. It was, it yeah, was pretty late. Very late. Okay. It wasn't okay. It wasn't like you, you know, obviously like Jake Fraley or fifteen. All of a sudden, boom, that that kicked in. Can you at that point, and even now, and I'm sort of fast forwarding here because I'm getting to this in a second with the Mariners, right? Yep. You talk about having this chip on your shoulder. And I see this, and you know, I, I dealt with this a little bit where you, you can lose that. Everyone starts kind of kissing your ass a little bit, telling you how special you are and everything else. So, for example, you're, you know, you, you're a year away from, you know, you get drafted. You're a year away from either going to a D1 or, or moving on from high school. Can you lose that chip on your shoulder? Yes, sir. Right. Okay. So has that happened? In, yes, sir. At any point where you get, just get too comfortable and say, oh, I've got this I've got this made in the shade, right? Twice. Yes, sir. Okay. I went, went with it two times. The first time, my very first scrimmage in at BC, um, I show up. I'm the only kid in my grade that got drafted. So I'm thinking I'm the man on campus. Like, I'm just going to run in here. I walked in my coach's office. I was like, I want to be the Friday guy. I want to pitch in the Cape as a freshman, and I'm getting drafted in the first round as a junior. 
and he looked at me like I had 15 heads, basically said, get out of my office. I'll see you at practice. You're, right. you're kidding me. So uh, it's the first day of scrimmage, and we had a guy, Chris Shaw, who plays for San Francisco now. He's been in the big leagues. Um, and he had also gotten drafted out of high school. He was our four-hitter. So I walk in, and I see I got him first inning. We're facing each other. And my boy from New York, Gabe, who's in Chris's grade, he came up to me. I was like, hey, bro, don't throw Chris a fastball down and in. And now I'm touching 92, 93, so I'm like, man, let's see if he's got what, he, what I think he's got. I'm going to challenge him. Yeah. So I'm talking I'm talking uh, trash back at him, like first pitch, you know where it's going, da-da-da-da-da. So, of course, we tee it up, tell the rubber, he steps in, catcher goes fastball away, a shake, fastball in, go, yep. Let it eat. Ball goes whack. He hits it about. At our school, it was it was 330 down the line. Mm-hmm. So about 358 right center field gap. So he's a big lefty. My man probably hit about 440. Out of this field, across the street, like onto a street that's another 100 feet back. And wow. the whole team started laughing. And my coach came up to me and goes, there's your first moment you got humbled. <laughs> so I was like, all right. And then the second one came in pro ball. My first year in 17, I had a good year in short season. Yeah, felt really easy, um, and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna breeze through this. I'm gonna get up quick. This isn't yeah, gonna. And, and you skipped, you skipped uh, low A. I skipped right? low A. So okay. I was feeling myself. I skipped low A. Yeah. Like me and Alonzo were like, we're getting up quick. This is gonna be easy. Mm-hmm. Came out, got punched in the mouth again. Had a terrible year. Honestly, like had hyperventilate. Like I was hyperventilating. Like had anxiety. Felt like I couldn't do it. I almost quit. Yeah. Um, and came back and I was like, you know what? No more having a big head. Right. Go back to the kid who just wanted to work and get better and, and trust the process and believe in yourself and haven't looked back since. So I don't want to have to go through that again. Right. And and even, I mean, your freshman year struggled a little bit. Didn't, yes, you know, and, and it's amazing, though. Like you look at those times and if they didn't happen, would you be where you're at right now? You know what I'm saying? It's because no. you, ha- you have to get re- you have to get reminded sometimes, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, I definitely am I'm extremely thankful to have had those lessons along the way. And uh, my college coach always says, "Aren't you glad that you had it in 2017 instead of having it in the big leagues in your first full season and yeah. feeling like you can't play up there and trying to come back from that?" So I'm glad to have been there. And it sounds like you know to me, it sounds like you kind of ride that roller coaster of em- emotionally, right? Because yep. Yeah, you know, when I'm watching you, when I'm watching you pitch, I watched you in spring training against the Angels. That was my first day down at camp. Um, matter of fact, I walked in. I was, I was like, I didn't even look. I didn't even look at the sheet, man. I know it's not. If if you're part of the media, you don't talk to whoever's pitching that day. And I was like marching into the into the locker room, like, okay, first dude I want to talk to is Justin Dunn. I want to ask him a few questions, this and that. And I just kind of in the corner of my eye, I saw, oh, he's pitching today. Oh, okay. And I walked in. I think you had your headphones on. You're walking around. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not even going to introduce myself here. I, yeah. I get it totally. But um, yeah, it, it's it's tough to do because here's a situation. You've come over in a massive trade, right? Robinson Cano from yeah you know, the Mets to the Mariners. And it's natural for people to be excited about you and tell you how great you are, right? And to be in this, you know, and, and even more so than when, when I played, you guys now, you can go on Twitter and, and, and check and see what people are saying about you, you know, in an instant. So you have a little bit of success. There's something you have to do to sort of manufacture that chip on your shoulder, right? If it doesn't yep. happen, right? Is there any way you do that? Like to remind yourself, hey, don't get too comfortable, Keep going. Keep you have to be knocked back. 
even though even if, if you're having success, right? Is there is there anything you do just to remind yourself of Chris Shaw hitting that ball across the street or 2017? Um, one, my college roommates will never let me live that moment down. Um, <laughs> and I would say no, but then I'd also say that my mom, my girlfriend, my friend group that I have, right. um, they're very good at bringing me down to size. Mm-hmm. Um, like my mom always jokes when I come home, the first thing she says is great year and I'll go clean the floor, right. go mop the floor. That's uh, awesome. So they, she, my friends and, and my girlfriend and my loved ones, and um, they do a great job of keeping me humble and continuing to push me to get better. And, and uh, my long time pitching coach from, from home, Glenn Mitchell, he is one of the guys who always pushes me to continue to grow and never stop searching. And, and he always says, if you want to, if you look at the great ones, they're never complacent with where they're at. And you look at their mentality and it's great to see this Michael Jordan documentary on and, and reading this Kobe Bryant book and just seeing how they strive to be the, to be better every year and be better every day. So um, the people that I have in my corner just continue to push me to do that day in and day out. All right, and and we actually are we using you? We're not using your girlfriend Skype, are we? No, you no, made your own. Well, my well, my how, how did you guys meet at, in at Boston College? At BC, she played uh, women's ice hockey there. Uh, oh no! Wow. Yeah, okay. for four years, and wow. then she went on to play professionally for a couple of years after after college, also. Wow. Okay. So how did you guys meet? Um, how did we meet? So at BC, they have a meal card system, which full ride scholarship athletes get. $300 a week to eat, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So women's ice hockey is a full ride sport. So me and my roommates, me and my roommate and a couple of my teammates found out about the system and we became friends with a lot of the female athletes. Nice. So he lived down the hall from two hockey players, um, Andy and Haley, and we became friends with them and they would always give us their card. And so his roommate and my buddy Nick would get Andy and Haley's card so I had to find a way to get my own card. Gotcha. So whose card did I end up getting? It was my girlfriend's card. So she has been paying for my meals since 2013. <laughs> um, and so uh, I got lucky and she decided to keep me around. So That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. All right. So just real quick, I forgot to ask you this. So you, when you're in high school, you're talking about you didn't want to you didn't go want to you want to go write essays, right? You want to go to school. You want to go. Did you want to go straight into pro ball when you got drafted? Even though, even though you got drafted late, was that? Were you telling your parents, "Hey, screw this. I just want to go." Yes, sir. And that was with the Angels, right? Uh, Dodgers. Dodgers. That's right. Yeah. Okay. They. Uh, he. My dad was texting uh, the area scout and in the eighth, and uh, I had my number. I set my number, and the eighth wasn't my number. Mm-hmm. But he was like, "Listen, if you want to go, we'll, we'll take you," and. My pops asked me, you want to go? And I was like, let's do it. And before he sent the text, he looked at me and said, are you ready to go to work? And I was like, yeah. He's like, are you ready to go play with grown men? Are you ready to play against me? Are you ready to play against yeah. – uh, who was the big name guy? He said – I think he said Trout. He's like, are you ready to go face Trout? Are you ready to go do this? Are you ready to go do that? Um, and then I sat back and I was like, no. No, 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 no. No, I'm not. Let's not right. do it. Uh, but it was a really tough decision for me because – that's what I wanted to do. And it was like, I had achieved my dream, but that's another instance of if I would have had those failures in pro ball at 17. Yeah. And I don't know myself as a person yet. I don't know where I would have been. I, I might not be playing this game anymore. I might be scouting or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, I have this thing. I've, I've got kids back in Australia who 
you know, they'll sign for a hundred thousand dollars before they go play a really good D one school. You know what I'm saying? But just because, yeah, you know, because that's, you know, they see the scout with a fitted hat, walk up, shake their hand. They're like, Oh, I'm going to go play in the big leagues. But then they sort of, you know, and again, nothing is fun about writing essays. I get that, you know, but um, yeah, no, it, it's just, it's interesting. I had to ask that because I figured that you, the fact that you were drafted late, okay. You know, it was just something I was, you know, passed over. I'm going to go to school, but uh, you had the chance to go to, to Oregon too, right? I was, I was looking at Oregon state. It was one of the schools I was talking to. Um, and, it wasn't really like the talks didn't get very serious. Right. I wish that I wish it was now when Mitch can now that Mitch Canham is there, the talks might have gotten a little bit more serious if I could rewind the clock back. Cause I love Mitch. Um, hey, how do you know Mitch? I, uh, I had Mitch in Double A. Mitch was our manager in Double A before okay. he got the job at Oregon That's State. That's right. Okay. Um, and come to find out, my mom was like, I was never going to let you go there. It was just my dream school at the time. Um, and ironically, when I was talking to them, I was talking to them as an infielder. And I was on the phone with Pat Casey. I'll never forget it. And I was like, hey, Mr. Casey, like, you know, I pitch also. And he was just like, no offense, you don't throw hard enough. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, pitching's what I do. That's what I yeah. do. Yeah. I, I, I don't even consider myself an infielder. So it yeah, was just kind of crazy for that to be the first school to be like, no, we don't even want you to pitch. Wow. I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't, I'm not ready to give pitching up yet. So maybe we should start looking at some other options. Right. Um, okay. But I, that was definitely one of the schools that I was looking at seriously and wanted to go to. Gotcha. So, and then w- at what point, because you were thrown pretty hard in college, right? Obviously low 90s, and then you got up to – I mean, you were cl- up in 90s, right, at college? Um, when I was closing, I was running it up there. I'd hit triple digits a couple times. So where did that come from? What, what do you think? What, what do you think changed to get that velo? You just uh, got stronger or what? A lot of it was God-given, um, I, I believe. And then I had to stay for summer school my freshman year. Um, I had a rough first year with not playing well. Um, I wasn't, I just wasn't in a good place and I wasn't really going to class and kind of put myself in a hole. Gotcha. So I stayed for summer school and, um, my roommate, Kevin Connor, um, was going to train at Cressy mm-hmm. and, uh, I had been hearing good things about him and I was like, you know what? I want to come with you. And so I convinced my dad to front me some cash to go do it and, started working and learn how to learn to work out functionally. Um, because our strength staff at BC was, was amazing, but it's hard to individualize to one guy when you're trying to train a whole team at once. So it was the first time I started training myself for me and learning Mm -hmm. my deficiencies and where I needed to get stronger. And, um, Eric really pushed me. I kind of wanted to baby my way into it and he would always come throw subtle jabs at me whenever we were lifting and be like, there were always like softball girls in there. And he would be like, you know, she's got more weight than you. Right. And just walk <laughs> away. And I'm like, all right, I got to go throw another plate on. Right. And this is Eric in Massachusetts. This right? is in Massachusetts before okay. he had the Florida spot. Gotcha. Um, so I started to work out and get stronger <laughs> and uh, long toss in the right way and learn how to use my body. And we using the, any way to balls back then. No way to balls. I'm strictly okay. long toss. I love okay. long toss. Jager long toss. I've been doing that. My dad discovered that at 10, and we've been doing that since I was 10 years old. Um, And when I got bigger, put some weight on, the velo just ticked up. I went from 92 to 93 to sit 95, 96, and then it ticked up again when uh, I started working out more and moving some more weight, and um, it's kind of just hovered out since then. So, okay, so no way the balls, just strictly long toss. Is that? Have you ever thought about you know doing any any kind of weighted baseballs or anything like that? No, do you ever do you ever have any debates 
with guys who are so – I mean, because it's like a cult mentality, I feel like. Because I, I, I did weighted ball stuff at the end of my career, and it yeah. really helped. It really did. But a lot of people assume it's like the be-all and end-all, the magic pill. For me, it was just like an extra add-on to what I was doing Yeah, you know, to help spike that velo. See, I, I would do it in that aspect. For me, it's, it's just I feel like the body – I'm a very big feel body movement guy. Um, so I just feel that the body creates certain – um, ways to throw the baseball that are natural to you and yeah. putting a heavier ball in my hand, I feel like it would create a different overcompensation in order to throw the ball in a natural way. And for me mentally, I just can't get past that. But if I right. were to do it, I would go to a drive line or a Texas baseball ranch and learn the right way to do it from them. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. All right. So, okay. So when you in college, right, you moved into the starting rotation, that's where you really started to, do you think, do you feel like you're more suited to start at any level? I just love to pitch. Just okay. give me the ball. I, I don't know. I see I'm, I'm, I have four pitches, so I see four pitches going through a lineup a couple times, but I also see pick through four pitches in, th- in the ninth and yeah. take your, try to guess the right one. You got 25% chance. Right. And, and, and the reason I'm asking you this is because you, you, you did both at, co- at the college level. Uh, you know, you get into pro ball, you're starting, but you know, usually it's usually it's one of these things that when you, when you're young, if you're a prospect, you start, get more innings, everything else. I was down at the winter meetings and I'm going somewhere with this, with the chip on your shoulder. I want to know if this, you know, changes how they're proving people wrong when it comes to this. So I'm down at the winter meetings in December and I brought your name up. I Justin Dunn. We're talking about some of the, the, the guys who the Mariners had, had brought in yep. and you know, a couple of front office executives like, oh yeah, we, we, we projected him, uh, as a bullpen guy only. Right. Is that something have you heard that at all? Like the last couple of years that you're projected to be a bullpen guy outside of the Mariners organization? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. But I mean, I've shown I can start. I showed it in college. I've yeah. showed it in Pro Bowl. But at the end of the day, if you tell if the if Jerry and Skip called me right now and said, Hey, we need you to close game in the night, give me the ball. Whatever right. it's gonna take to get us a World Series ring. So um I just like I said, I love to pitch. Pitching's where I'm happy. So I didn't, I didn't really look at that as the chip on my shoulder. Yeah. You know, I just, wherever, whenever I got the chance to pitch, whether it was the first, the sixth or the ninth, I just wanted right. the ball and I want to have it in my hand with the game on my shoulders. Okay. So it's not a situation where you, you look at that and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to prove to you that I can start here. There's, there's some of that right. in there. Yeah, yeah. I won't, I don't like to just call people out, but yeah, there's some, of, there's some of that in there. You know, I yeah. definitely, see, I'll say, I see it, I'll say yeah. that I'll I see everything that is said. Yeah, right. And and you have to have that, right? I mean, if you if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna go into that and say, oh hey, I'll just try and sneak into the big leagues in the bullpen, never gonna work out. You know, because there was guys I played with, they're like, oh yeah, they're telling me I'm going to the bullpen, and they tried to because they they weren't having success as a star. I'm like, no, you should be mad that you're getting taken out of the rotation because you're getting hit around. Not saying you're getting hit around. I think at your, at your level, with the way they look at you, they're trying to maximize everything they can yep. out of you. It, it was just, it was interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, if you do look at his his track record here, he's had tons of success as a starting pitcher. So I don't know how you can sort of write that script right away. I I just, I, I had to know that because I know, you, you know, you, what fuels you, it seems like that, that chip on your shoulder to prove people wrong. You know yeah, what I mean? I'll say that it's definitely it's back and it's in my mind somewhere. Right. Okay. So I want to go to the trade. You can be you can be honest here, man. And okay, are are you are you a a Yankees or a Mets fan growing up? Diehard Yankee fan. Okay. 
So it wasn't that big of when you were with the Mets, you get drafted by the Mets, first rounder, right? You're going to be a hometown, you know, basically it's your hometown, a hometown team. It's not the Yankees, but it's the Mets. When you get traded, is there a little bit of disappointment when you get traded away from, you know, the New York Mets because you've already picture in your head making your debut in a Mets uniform at home? Yeah, for that aspect, yes. Um, I was upset to leave. Uh, not upset. I was I was sad to kind of close that chapter and because I felt like I had more to learn. You know, I didn't really get to tap into the full resources of the guys who made Jacob deGrom, who made yeah. Noah Syndergaard, and who made Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler and helped cultivate that pitching staff. Um, I was really looking forward to taking the next step and learning from those guys. And then the aspect of being home, being 25 minutes from City Field, I had it planned out to me and my boy, we're going to get an apartment in Brooklyn and da 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 And um, when I get called up, I'm just going to say, fly me to JFK, call on Uber, put the key in my front door and say I'm home. Yeah. Um, that aspect was tough for me to get rid of. But I mean, from day one, I've been saying if if you asked me in 2016 where I was getting drafted, I thought I was coming to Seattle right. from, from day one. Uh, T-Mac told me that it was between me and Kalu and uh, Kalu was still there. No one thought he was still going to be there. Yeah. Um, and he was. And I was OK with that decision. But I was extremely happy to go home and be in a great pitching organization and learn from those guys that, that helped cultivate that uh, culture over there. Okay, so so your first reactions, you find out you're getting traded from a hometown team, basically. Right? Yeah. I, I'm just, I couldn't imagine that. I grew up in Australia, so I didn't have a hometown team. But I, I've been thinking about that this ever since you got traded. I was like, oh, I need I need to know what was that first conversation with mom and dad like. Oh man, a little bit of bitterness in a sense because it's like I really want to pitch here in front of the family, friends, right here in New York. Because I mean, and the other thing is too. Let's let's not let's be honest here, man. The Mets, Yankees, they're big-time organizations, big market, tons of history, all those little things that you know they get thrown into this. Um, and like you said too, you had Noah Syndergaard, Jacob Degrom, guys who, you know, developed in that in that system. And you're like, man, I want to be a part of this. So that first initial reaction, there had to be that that conversation with mom and dad, you know, about just a little bit, little bit of, of bitterness, right? From mom, yes. From dad, no. Okay. No. Uh, dad, <laughs> dad was, I won't say happy, but he was optimistic because he was looking at where we were as an organization, we as in Seattle, and where we were headed. And he was saying from day one, this yeah. is going to be a lot of opportunity for you. Yeah. So that that is going to be a great thing. And, and I agreed with him 100%. Um, mom, on the other hand, was you're moving uh, two time zones away and the complete yes. polar opposite part of the country. Um, I'm going to have to take a nap before I watch you play. That's that's tough for her. Um, well, that, that was my next point. I mean, the game's a seven o'clock game. If she's sitting at home, it's 10 o'clock. Brutal. That 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 was the that was a tough part for her. But um, again, I think she's happier to see me in the situation I'm at now than um, scrapping yeah. and fighting to get to where I'm at. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, you know, people you know don't really factor that in. I, I just think if it's you know a situation, if you're from you know middle of you know somewhere in the middle of Texas and it's it's the Houston Astros, but you're not really you know what I'm saying it's just New yeah. York's just different for you guys growing up. That's that's why. Yeah, I'm also I'm also I also was excited to kind of because I understand the media side of it too that a lot of people don't look at and be we were under the assumption of being able to go play and 
not have all eyes on me being the hometown kid. And because yeah. I knew I was going to take some bumps and bruises along right. the way and be able to develop and not have to check my Twitter and see you're a bust <laughs> like right. I'm in 2017. Right. It's so, it's so different, isn't it? That New York media compared to out here in Seattle. I, yeah, part of me misses it, though, man. I love it. I love it. For sure. It. Absolutely. It adds well, that fuel. Like you said, I run off of that. So it adds yeah. that fuel, and I, I love seeing that. But I do also like the ability to that we get out in Seattle to just grow and come into our own players. Yeah. And, yeah, it, uh, I'm with you, dude. Like, you know, a, lo- a lot of people, and I uh, get it depends on the personality. I just think with you, watching you do your thing, one thing with you and – I heard you say somewhere that you were a little overwhelmed and you're able to admit this when you get to the big leagues names on the back guys you're playing on MLB the show it can be if anyone who says that's not overwhelming I think you know are lying to some degree because it's the big leagues man you've been waiting your whole life to get there but on the flip side of that one thing you do really well I don't know if you practice this or you've worked with someone but your demeanor, you have that alpha body language where all where you will never know that's what's going on through your head. And because yeah. I, I remember your debut, I, I remember watching it. And I was watching it, you know, like a hawk because I had to talk about it on the postgame show. And, you know, it, it didn't go great, right? Your first yeah. inning. But there was never really that element at your age. I was waiting to see the speed up, the heart rate go through the roof, kicking, you know, kicking the dirt around, head goes down, gets smaller. But everything you had, your presence – you had that that body language has basically said I'm in control here and everything else. Is that something? Do you work on that, or is that just something you watch from people you look up to, or what? I got that from uh, Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera. Okay, uh, those were my guys growing up, and my mom always, my mom and my dad both always stressed to me and said he didn't blow many, but when Mariano blew a save, you would never know it. Never know when yeah. when Derek Jeter was over four you would never know it. And I threw one tantrum on a field and they shut it down real quick. And, um, they always taught, my pops always taught me that when you tell the rubber, you're in a fight, you're in, you're in a street fight and you never want to give your opponent any inclining or inkling that you are, you're scared. You have any fear of any type. So whenever I tow it up, I'm in a fist fight. It's me against you. You may punch me, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to throw some more blows back at you until Skip right. comes to get me. That's just the way I look at it. And um, and it's, it's the way I've looked at it since I was, what, 10 years old, 11 years old? Right. And what about and what about more recent? So, like, you know, you're in pro ball. You're, you're trying to get to the big leagues. Is there someone you're modeling yourself after or look up to? Any pitcher in the big leagues at that point when you're a year or so away that you're like, man, I love how he does this. Or I love, love how he does that. Pedro. Pedro mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah. CC. Um, I love the energy that CC pitched with, and um, in college and even my first couple of years in pro ball and even even now, Marcus Stroman. Like I love, I just yeah. love the swag. Like watching me pitch, I, I try to have that same swag. We're from yeah. the same general area, um, similar upbringing. Right. Um, so I just try to have that same swag and. Um, I think part of it is com- being from New York. It's just we have a different, yeah. a, a different swagger that comes with us, and pitch with that same emotion. Um, like sometimes Lou will come up to me in the bench, and be like, "Yo, you got to relax. You're gonna get us in trouble. We might get in a fight. The way you're running right. your mouth, and that's just how I am. And I, yeah. you get me, you can talk to me. If I get you, I'm gonna talk. So um, I like to have fun and, and just remember it's a kid's game. I yeah. think getting punched in the mouth so early kind of reminded me. Just to have fun every time I touch the field, because if you're not having fun, then then why are you out there? 
Have you met Marcus? I've met Marcus a couple times. Um, it was funny. Our brothers used to like work out together. Right. Our dads talk. Um, we haven't gotten a chance to talk since I've gotten up. I really do yeah. want to pick his brain at some point um, about what it takes to stick up there and, and all that. But um, he's someone I look up to and, and um, his, was an inspiration to me as a kid also growing up. Right. All right. So a couple questions real quick before before I, I, I want to jump into one other one other topic before I, I, I you got enough time. You good? Yeah, we're good. I got okay. where else? Where else am I going to go? OK. Yeah. Sweet. Um, all right. So a couple on Facebook. I put this question out. Hey, a couple. Anyone got questions? And there was there's a few of them. Where's my. Uh, yeah, we're good. It's fine. Well, someone wants to know what's what's your, what's your game day routine? I need to ask you that. Like what, what the, the seven o'clock seven o'clock game. What do you what do you got during the day? What do I got during the day? So I'll wake up. Usually I'll get to bed. Well, all right. So it starts the night before. Yeah. I got to have a steak, asparagus, mashed potatoes. That's my oh, pregame wow. meal. Uh, then I'll is go this, to bed. Is this superstition or is this just? Superstition. Okay. It, starts, it all starts with superstition. <laughs> gotcha. So steak, mashed potatoes. Then I'll go back to the go back to my room, start doing my video, mm-hmm. uh, get my report of where I want it to be, uh, be in bed about 12.30, 1, sleep till about 10.30, 11. Wake up, another superstition. Got to. I just, I just need to interject here. And if you sit at home and go, man, sleeping, sleeping until 10, 30, 11, Remember, people forget this. When you're playing seven o'clock games and your adrenaline's through the roof or whatever, in that routine, you go to bed late, you wake up late. Right? Yeah. So I was, yeah. Okay. Go for it. Sorry. Keep, keep going. So go get scrambled eggs. I'll get it. No, it's an omelet now. I changed to an omelet in Arkansas. Omelet with spinach, bacon, and cheddar cheese, side of potatoes, orange juice, and a water. Have to have that. Uh, usually, I'll eat breakfast alone and FaceTime my mom while I do that. Another superstition that started wow. in Arkansas and had some good games, so that's going to continue. <laughs> uh, go home and then chill for a little bit, probably play a game of MLB, uh, and then hop in the car, head over to the field, um, get there about one thirty-two. I get there early because I go stir-crazy in the house. Yeah. So I have, I'd rather just hang out with the guys than go stir-crazy alone. Get there, go FaceTime my mom again. Pray with her, okay. FaceTime my girlfriend, tell her I'll talk to her after the game because it's time for me to kind of black out and yeah. tune the outside world out for a little bit. Pre-game shower. Uh, you got headphones at this point? You listen oh, to music? I mean, you saw it in spring training. It's yeah. headphones the whole day. So what, what, are, you, what are you listening to? <laughs> Jay-Z, uh, Lil Wayne, Kevin Gates, uh, Beyonce. Yeah. I have a lot of different phases throughout yeah. the day. Where when I first get to the park, I don't want to get too hype. But then right before I go out, I listen to DMX. But the la- very last song I listen to is a gospel song to kind of mellow myself back out. Um, and then I have my whole warm-up and stretch routine that I started at about 3.34. So gotcha. it's it's pretty pretty jam-packed with stuff to do. Throughout. Right, and it's that routine slash superstition. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so... Another question I got for you, and and this is actually someone someone brought this up, but I want to ask you this as well. All right, so you you're a big sneakerhead, or you, you love okay. All right, so how it's spring training or Arizona? How many are you bringing with you? <laughs> how many I brought with me, or how many I have now? Well, okay, how many did you bring with you? I had a whole suitcase for just shoes. <laughs> uh, I probably brought. Are we including like Chelsea boots or just sneakers? Just, just, just sneakers. Probably like six or seven pairs of sneakers. Okay. All right. 
So your whole whole suitcase full, right? Okay. So so give give me the protocol here, man, because I was always I didn't get the sneaker thing whatsoever. I, I don't mind shoes, but for some reason, dude, like twelve months ago, I started looking at Jordans, going, man, they are so yeah. freaking sweet. I love them. And then I start doing my research. I'm sitting there, yeah, I'm sitting there like starting to research, like you know, just the different colors and like the ones that, yeah. The, the the ones obviously the 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 price is it depends on how rare they are right is that yes, is that sir. what determines the price yeah so so there's retro so he's been re-releasing stuff but he retros certain shoes okay um, so um, are you are you still going to like a you know like a champs or a Foot Locker and, and grabbing those or no yeah you are just strictly getting the, the... <laughs> there's a fine line so if he like so my, so my favorite shoe is the Bread Eleven that's my all time favorite black and red eleven um, he actually just re-released them a couple months ago. Okay. Um, and yes, I would, I did go to champs to wait in line to try to get two or three more pairs of those. Right. Um, but now let's say I want a Concord 11, the release from 1998, just throwing out a random number. I don't even know if he released one that year, but then I'll have to go to a flight club or a resale sh- yeah. uh, shoe store in which I'm paying a little bit more to get right. my hands on that shoe. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And what about the occasions? Like, how often are we wearing them? Is there special occasions you're going to wear those certain ones? Like, you know, you're on MLB Network uh, with Billy Ripken, for example, yep. right? Those shoes you're wearing on that, is that is there a reason you're wearing those shoes on that? Or is it just like, oh, these look good with this? Or is it like, no, I want to wear these because of whatever reason? So I actually bought two pairs of shoes with me that day. I changed it up. Um <laughs> uh, some of it, so I build my outfit around the shoes. I figure out what shoes I want to wear first. So when, like, if you ever see me in the house or before we go out, my bed is just full of shoe boxes. And sometimes I'll have a shoe idea in my head. I'll start getting dressed, put the outfit together, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. Switch it out. I think this shoe will look better. That didn't gotcha. look right. Switch it out. And sometimes I'll go back to the first shoe I have on. So a lot of it depends on where I'm going, whether I'm trying to be flashy or subtle. Or if I'm trying to dress it up, dress it down. Um, if we're just relaxing or if we're going to a nice function. Um, so there is a lot of thought that goes into it. But then there are some that I just like to pull out just right. to be showstoppers that get people to be like, look at those. Um, and, and people who people who understand sneakers, they, they'll stop and go, dude, where do you get them? Or will they? Yeah, guys will stop and be like, hey, I like your shoes. <laughs> There was actually one time, I'm not proud of this, there was one time where I was at the mall and uh, a guy had a pair of shoes on, or I had a pair of nice shoes on, and a kid had a pair of Yeezys that one-upped me. And so um, I was about, I live about 10 to 15 minutes from the mall, so I ran out of the mall, went home, pulled out a pair of shoes to one-up his, sprinted back to the mall, and just walked around until I found the guy. Luckily, he was still there. And he was like, oh, nice shoes, man. And I was like, thanks. And just kept, <laughs> I couldn't get one upped. And with my little brother, I got into trouble because I was buying him shoes. So right. being the big brother, you know, when I get something, he gets mad if he doesn't have it. So right. whatever I get, slope, have, right? get, so I was buying doubles. And when he was in middle school, I would buy him a shoe. And if someone came to school, I always ask, hey, what guys say about your shoes today? And he'd be like, oh, so-and-so had them. And I was like, oh, really? So I would take him oh, to the no. store the next weekend, and we would have to get something to one-up that. Because right. I couldn't let my brother get outdone at school. I felt like I looked bad if that was the case. Because he's <laughs> one of on the you. He tried your name under the bus. 
Yeah, he's my stylist. My little brother is the one that really? picks well, Yeah, he's a basketball player, and he's got hey, – How old is he now? He's 17. Okay. Yes, oh, wow. he, he picks my clothes out, and I'll, like, I'll go shop and call him and say, what do you think about this? So sometimes there'll be shoes. I'll say, do I want these? And he'll be like, no, I'll get those. They'll look better with this. So I couldn't let him get out done. Wow, 17 years old, killing yeah. it. I love it. So, okay, uh, is Kyle uh, – and Kyle Lewis, he, he's, is he as big – is he, he as big – he what? He's, he's sponsored by Jordan, so he gets access to stuff that I gotta pay crazy money for that I just don't right. have a bank account to go get. So he he's got me beat. So you're not you you're not getting that through Nike. I mean you you sponsored by Nike, right? So do you get none of that is connected through Nike? No. No. Okay. It's all, all out right. of my pocket. Okay. Now speaking of that, on your Instagram, right? You see some of the shoes, some of your spikes. Hey, tell me about that process, man. I used to, I, I had Nike. I, I wore Nike spikes when i pitched nike glove the whole thing but i was just like yeah whatever you got just you know and then later i was like man i should have really taken advantage because everyone's starting to get like you know the custom shoes and the whole thing tell me about the process do you tell them look i want the shoe to look like this or you know because you, you how does that work so for me i don't i don't have that luxury um i try to find what i feel most comfortable in so i love hirachis that's that's the cleat i wear yeah i was uh, they had a new Hirachi that came out and I didn't really like the heel of it. Um, so I asked for like the years past model and gotcha. that's the extent of like me customizing shoes, but they do a really, really, really great job of sending out shoes for 4th of July, yeah. mother's day, Memorial day, Jackie Robinson day. So I have cleats. I'll just give to people because it's like, I, I'm going to get another pair next year. There's no pair to hold on to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've noticed that on, on your Instagram account. Now, again, just on that. Now I've got to ask you this and, and I won't keep you too much longer. I feel like you've been sitting here forever, but on your Instagram account, now this is something that's a little bit different. I'm showing my age here a little bit. In 2009, I had a Twitter account, right? Uh -huh. And it was like, my teammates ripped me for it. It was like, dude, what are you doing that for? Like promoting yourself, the whole thing. I feel like it's just part of the game now, right? Yes, Everyone sir. has an Instagram or a Twitter and, and they're just, they're out there. Just do the Mariners or do you have someone that not not help you in the sense to, to make the post better or anything like that, but coach you in a way? Do they sit at spring training and say, listen, this is how we want you to conduct yourselves on 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 social media? They yes, still sir. do that? Okay. Yeah, that's that honestly starts in in college now. Um, okay. We had social media classes in college, and then being in New York when I played in New York, we had extensive extensive mm -hmm. social media classes about don't post this, you can post this, um, and understanding that social media is a brand. And the Mariners do a really good job of. We have a great social media team that helps us out with it. Also, my agency uh, helps, um, but a lot of it is myself and just really taking a second to think about what you're posting. Yeah. And uh, making sure that you want people to see what you're posting and you're not – you have to understand you're not just posting for your friends. You're posting for the whole world and, and the image you're trying to portray. And it's a, it's a second business, honestly. Okay. Do you feel the pressure to, for it to be you know, on point and be good? Yes. Because now there's so much competition. That's something too. I was thinking about this the other day. Like even okay, kids obviously, you know, kids in high school, obviously, you know, when it comes to being online and everything else, there's so much pressure. But I was just thinking for you guys now, you know, just to sort of keep up with the the branding and everything else, because it's it's really part of the game now. So yeah. do you feel like you, you know th there is that pressure to make sure there's constant, you know, content to put yeah. out there? I'm very like my friends will be like, you don't post enough, but I'm I'm in the I'm 
old school and new school in the sense of I want my game to speak. I don't want to be the guy who's too yeah. far out there. Um, and then I'm out there getting shelled on the field. And it's like, well, maybe if you didn't care about your Instagram so much, right. you'd be a good player. But at the same time, I understand the uses of it. But I also like to make sure that my pictures or videos that I'm posting are good quality pictures. Yeah. So um, I'll it'll I'll space my post out until I get a good picture that I know I like. Where now living with Kyle and he's more into taking more pictures, I'm slowly getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do very much so. I'm very particular. I have to look at it. I need to yeah. have a good caption for it. I need to right. figure out if people would like to see it uh, before I go ahead and post it. Now you, you do a great job. And the reason I'm asking now, I mean, I look at you know, some guys around the big leagues. I'm like, some of it's just, it's either they're extremely bored or they're just getting reckless with it. I'm like, dude, what are you putting that out yeah. there for? All right. So you say, so the Mariners just on that. So they have a social media team where do, do, like, for example, I'm just trying to think like, do they say, okay, when you do your story, you know, put this little design here. Is it like that? Or is it more of just giving you photos to use? Yeah. They do a great okay. job of getting us the content. Gotcha. And, and making sure that we're pro we're posting appropriate content yeah, and making ourselves look good and highlighting ourselves in a good light and also highlighting the team right. and representing the team's brand in a good light as well. Gotcha. Um, I feel like more of that stuff will either come from yourself being in tune with Instagram and really, like, I don't know how to do swipe up posts. I really don't. If I, if I need help with that, I'll call my agent and say, Hey, can you yeah. walk me through this? Cause I have no clue. Right. <laughs> Oh man, it's such an element now. It, you know, it's it's just different, and you don't realize. But it's yeah, you know, it's one of these things that's important because MLB needs it too, man. I mean, yeah. MLB is so restrictive on content. I deal with this, you know, broadcasting. You can post this, but you can't post that. This, the amount of seconds you can have of game footage and everything else. But they need that. They need you guys to be proactive yeah. with everything else. Now on the field, okay, talking twenty twenty. All right, what what do you what? Do you set out for 2020 spring training? Obviously, spring training's over now. We're going to have to reset and, and kick this thing off. Whenever it gets started, let's say it gets started in a month. Do you set out, do you write out little goals or say, this is where I want to be at the end of 2020? Or how does that work for you in your head going into a season? I actually got asked that a couple of times before. My goal, my 2020 goal was simply be one of the best 26 guys in camp. That that was my goal for myself. Um Performance goals, I felt like my first year in the big leagues, everybody, every, assuming that I was one of the best 26 my first year in the big leagues, I didn't want to put a performance goal on myself. And I did that one time before yeah. um, in 2017. It didn't work out well. Yeah. Um, so my goal for myself was to be a sponge, to learn from Marco, to learn from Taiwan, to learn from Kendall Graveman, to learn from Chef, to learn yeah. from Woody, to learn from Skip. Um and, and just continue to get better and, and slowly develop into who I wanted to be at the end of my career. Um, like I said, with the with the support system that I have, I've, I've really kind of stepped back and more now look big picture for who I want to be at the end of my career. Yeah. And understanding that this process is just the journey to get to that Justin Dunn, not right. the Justin Dunn I want to be tomorrow. Okay. So, okay. So when you say from Chef and from Marco, obviously two different phases in their career. So from 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 Justice Sheffield, what's something that you could you've grabbed from him or you could get from 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 Justice? I mean, he's been there. He's he's had it and he's kind of still in the same shoes and had the success. So mainly and, and he struggled too. Yeah, and he's and he dealt struggled. with a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we talk about it, and I love having him on the same team because we it seems like we always go through stuff together at the same time and we help each other through it. 
But for him, it was just how to get that mindset back of feeling like I'm back in double A or feeling like I'm back in, in the minor leagues. And because he's so fresh out of it and he's so new, he, he can relate to where I'm at. Yes. And, yeah. um, good point for Marco. He's so routine oriented. I mean, it's truly special to watch how he goes about his daily routine. And I'm very routine based also. Yeah. So picking up parts of his routine that makes him into the opening day starter and ace of the staff and how to make how to make my routine mold into a big league routine and how to yeah. tighten it up understanding this is what works for me this is what i need to do on this day to yeah. get ready to optimally perform on day five gotcha. um, and then learning from kendall and taiwan who have the years of yeah. how long did it take you to get to this point right. you know and then yeah. How long, what was the turning point for you when you got to that? How did you, what made you think that? Or what, yeah. when did you feel this? And it's the same conversations I have when I'm fortunate enough to talk to, to CC Sabathia and I ask him, hey, how long in your career did it take for you to feel comfortable or for you to not feel like you didn't belong or yeah. things like that? So those older guys, I really talk for more mindset and routine yeah. and what it takes to stick. Right. What about, okay, what about on the, the, analytic side of things like do you go into camp and and you know pete woodworth say hey man look see this pitch here can we tighten this up or this change up was there anything, anything like that that we're trying to change this off season or in spring training yeah so woody and i when we first got together in arkansas we butt heads on that because i don't work from necessarily an analytical standpoint where right. i'm visual you mm -hmm. can tell me the numbers and, and yeah. all that i can't see it so i yeah. can't repeat it so Woody was, we would go back and forth of trying to understand us. We finally sat down and had an adult conversation and we butt heads and, and we got to a mutual understanding. We we're like, we need to have a fine line of both. Yeah. So he's really good with saying, throw your change up. Bam. That's the big pitch for me. Right. So that's what we're yeah. working on. And it's getting the horizontal action with the fade that we want. Yeah. And he'll say, he'll take a video of it and say, do you see that action? Mm -hmm. Watch the action, watch your delivery. Remember how it feels. And like he's right. made countless videos of me. These are the numbers. Look, you hit the target numbers that we want you to hit when you do this. So now I can go home and sit yeah. down. And be like I was here at balance. My hand felt this. I remember, oh, I felt this or my thought process was this on that pitch. Now all I have to do is just go repeat it. So we're both getting yeah. what we want at the end of the day. Right. It's, it's, it's funny you said that because it, it has to be that balance. And you have the message. Whoever sends you that message, you have to trust it, too. Yeah, you know, if you, I've I've had guys I've played with, you know, recently they're still playing, and someone will come down who's never pitched in the big leagues or never pitched at any level or doesn't have enough, quite the understanding of how to translate that message, like you just said, with from from Pete Woodworth, and they're like, hey, here the numbers say this, boom. I'm like, well, I'm not going to trust that unless I can feel it, and and yeah. that matches up with what it says on that iPad. So yeah, yeah it's. It, yeah, no, it's it's interesting you said that, man. I'm I'm excited to see you know Pete Woodworth. The fact he's the big league pitching coach and he's got awesome. you and Sheffield, it's great, man. So it makes so much sense. Yeah, it, it just makes a lot of sense with what the Mariners are trying to do. But listen, Ju Justin, this this has been uh, it's been fun, man. I appreciate yeah, your, your time. Not. Sure. I, I won't uh, I won't keep you too long. I know you got some. What is it? Call of Duty hour coming up or what? Yeah, I don't know if we're playing MLB the Show or Call of Duty first, but I know yeah. one of the two is coming up. Who, who, who who's does someone dominate in this house or no? Or is we're it pretty even? Pretty, we're all pretty even, honestly. Um, MLB The Show, Kyle hits better than anybody. I, okay. Would you guess anything different? Kyle hits. <laughs> Fraley Rakes, too, actually his first two at-bats 
So he just got put in the game the other day. His first at bat, he went yard with himself, first pitch. So ironic. And then he went yard with JP the next pitch. Um, so usually when we play, I'll do the pitching and then just flip them the controller to hit so we don't lose. Are you offended by your gradings or like the numbers or anything? We were actually talking about it a little while ago, just about how we were looking at it. And it's some of the things it's like, Kyle's got 50 speed. Kyle's faster than a 50. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who, who does that, man? Because sometimes I look I at them and I'm like, hold on a second. I, I, I was terrible, dude. Like my stamina, third inning, I was done. And I was trying like 83 miles. I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah. This my stamina is like a 42 or right, something yeah, like yeah. that. And <laughs> you look at JP and his defense is a 58. And we're like, what are we doing? <laughs> and that made one of the sickest plays yeah, in the year. Yeah. Yeah, defense. Oh, man. That, no, that's funny. All right. Well, anyway, good luck, dude. Hopefully you Thank dominate. You. Get your reps up, and, and hopefully we get some baseball coming back soon, man. This has been fun, dude. I look forward to doing this in a face to face next time we do it. On I said this to she- I said this to Justice Sheffield. I said on top of the dugout after you went eight scoreless or something. All right, hey, you're you, out to God's ears. Let's do it. Hopefully <laughs> Let's do a lot. It. All right, man. I appreciate. It. Thank you. Appreciate you. See you, man. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to this episode and make sure you click that subscribe button below or go check out www.thetopstep.com for all past episodes and conversations and different content that is starting to come out on that website. Now coming up on future episodes, I get a chance to sit down with ex-Mariner and current New York Yankees starting pitcher, the Big Maple, James Paxton, as well as one of my BFFs, MLB All-Star and fellow Australian, Mr. Grant Balfour. I'll catch you on the top step real soon.